I'm Kwame Christian, and I am the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I want you to check out my podcast, Negotiate Real Change. Listen to conversations with leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, and learn the secrets behind what it really takes to become a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. Check out Negotiate Real Change on your favorite podcast player. LinkedIn presents... From entrepreneurship to global business leadership, from challenges to self-discovery to our ever-changing future, what separates those who win and those who get passed by? This is The Yes Factor with Winnie Sun. The pandemic undoubtedly changed all of our lives. Turn it upside down. As we struggled, learned, and adapted to the changing conditions, one thing is certain. There's still a lot more to learn about this virus. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Survivor Corps, the largest and perhaps the most powerful COVID movement in the world with over 180,000 community members and growing. The organization is dedicated to providing information and education. They support pandemic-related medical research efforts and facilitate a national community-driven worldwide response. I'm so grateful to introduce you to the founder of Survivor Corps, Diana Berent, on this episode of Yes Factor. Please join me to hear her story. I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? I feel like these days that has to be the first question. Everyone safe? Everyone healthy? Everybody healthy? You know, we are healthy, Diana. So, so far, so good. And hopefully those of you joining us are here as well. I wanted to make this note. I was really proud of you to see this. The United States Library of Congress has selected SurvivorCorps.com's website for inclusion in the nation's historic coronavirus web archives. So that's a big deal. I know this because I've been following you on social media for some time, Diana, you have a lot of fans and not just a lot of fans on social media, but a lot of experts in this space. A lot of people that we go to for smart decisions as it pertains to this pandemic. In fact, maybe you could share with us sort of your backstory of how you got to your role today. Yeah. So look, it's something that you could never have predicted. As I say all the time, I'm ready to blow up my bingo card because none of this, you know, this, this has all been a strange journey. Um, just as some background, I, you know, when I got COVID, I was a suburban soccer mom, essentially. Um, I had done many things in my past. I'd gone to law school. I'd worked for the government. I'd worked at the State Department in my early 20s. You know, I had had a fairly exciting life. And I became a photographer, which I did for about 14 years. And the last few years of which I was traveling around the world. So lest I get a lot of people online uh, assuming that I'm a real hypochondriac or germaphobe, just to put that to rest, let me explain what I was doing a year before I got COVID. I was in India photographing the world's largest gathering of humanity, 50 million people at the Kumbh Mela in February 2019. And I photographed the consecration of the Ganges while chest high in the Ganges River for over an hour. That said, just to show you how virulent uh, COVID is, after an hour in the Ganges River, I didn't even need a Pepto-Bismol. That said, I ended up being one of the first confirmed cases of COVID in the country. When I when I got COVID, look, I was not the first person to get COVID by any stretch of the imagination. Um, in fact, it turns out that my son had it before me. It just, we didn't have tests at that point. He later tested positive for antibodies. 
I went to a meeting on March 9th in 2020. I had been watching, as I said, I'm not a germaphobe, but I am a news junkie. So I had been watching this virus go, you know, in China and go through, tear through Italy. And I was really glued to the coverage. You know, I know enough. I mean, look, we all know we live in a global community. We all are one flight away from each other. So nothing that happened in China or, you know, anywhere in the world, in Italy, anywhere, is going to remain confined to that. You know, it was only a matter of time before it came to the United States. That said, I didn't think that it would be so quickly. I had I could never forecast what actually happened. But I went to this meeting on March 9th. There were about 10 people there. And two of them had been at a conference from March 2nd to March 7th at the Sheridan Hotel in New York City, which ended up being one of the first super spreader events. Everyone in the meeting was infected and one died two weeks later. I woke up on Friday the 13th, March 2020, because I mean, honestly, you couldn't script it, with every symptom under the sun, with a high fever, which I had not had, you know, in, I had the flu once about 12 years ago. That was the last time I had a fever. I felt like I had an elephant sitting on my chest, which ended up being COVID pneumonia. I had, you know, every symptom and I just woke up knowing this had to be it. I don't know why. It could have just as well been the flu at that point, but there was just something different about this. And I really fought to get tested and got a fair amount of media coverage. I ended up testing positive. You know, at that point, look, I had a very average case of COVID. I was never hospitalized. I never came close to being hospitalized. I had what's referred to as mild COVID. Keep in mind that mild COVID involves COVID pneumonia. It involves encephalitis. It involves a host of really difficult ailments that normally you would be going to your doctor for. And there was no medical guidance whatsoever. There were raging debates at that point of whether or not you could take Motrin. Really, nothing was known. And the only advice given was, you know, stay in isolation. And if your lips turn blue, go to the ER. But if anything short of that, stay home. And I was terrified to end up in the emergency room because at that point, it was a quick route from the ER to being on a ventilator from what it seemed. And so it was frightening, but not because I was in such dire circumstances. But again, my case of COVID ended up looking a lot like many people's. The New York Post gave me a daily column and video blog during that time called my COVID diaries. And essentially, I was the only good news story happening in America. So I got a lot of media attention. This was a time when New York was truly on fire. And so here was the story of somebody who was going to survive. And so it brought some hope to people. And, you know, here's one of those things that you wouldn't have expected. Because I had been a photographer, you know, that imagery of me getting tested, those were the only images of anyone in America who had gotten tested at that point. And I knew because of having been a photographer to take the photos landscape rather than portraits so that they would work for television and so on and so forth. Those little details are, you know, what ended up getting all this coverage. While I was in isolation, because I was the only person most people in my world knew who had COVID. There was an email circulating from Mount Sinai looking for people to donate convalescent plasma. So essentially, you know, plasma is sort of the amber to clear part of your blood. And so it's like giving blood, but they're able to spin out the plasma and actually put the red and white blood cells right back in your arm. Because my body did exactly what it was supposed to do. It built up a defense of the antibodies 
which live in your plasma. And so I was able to, as soon as I recovered or, you know, survived this thing, I would be able to donate my plasma and that plasma could be used for patients whose bodies had not mounted that same defense system. And it was a way of saving lives, which was incredibly inspiring, given the fact that the only people who could save lives at that point were white coats. And I hadn't taken science since high school. I got incredibly curious about the plasma world. I learned, I went deep. I become a little bit obsessive about these things. And, you know, people talk about fatigue as being a part of COVID. I always remind people it's actually sleep disturbances. I actually, I was never fatigued. I had incredible insomnia and almost manic energy. I credit the creation of Survivor Corps to that manic energy and the insomnia. It's just amazing. It started to be used in the 1890s against diphtheria. The Nobel Prize was won for it in 1901. And it's been the first line of defense in with pandemics, with novel diseases ever since, because until you're able to develop a vaccine, it's a crude way, crude but very effective way of giving somebody an antibody response that their body wasn't able to naturally produce. And, you know, we're talking about, or, you know, finances and economics, and I am a big believer in free markets, but I foresaw the plasma market becoming competitive, where patients were going to be a commodity. Free markets are terrific, but in a moment of global crisis, we needed collaboration. We couldn't take chances. And there was no point of having different medical institutions fighting with each other over these few patients who are qualified to donate plasma. And so one of the original intents of Survivor Corps was you know, realize, the realization, if I'm going to be one of the first survivors, there are going to be many, many to follow. And if we could band together as a coalition, as a group, um, we, could, we could neutralize that market. We could flood that market. And that's exactly what we did. We ended up making it so that none of those medical institutions ever had to put out a single advertisement. None of them had to spend their time and precious resources recruiting because we did it for them. And so we kicked off the plasma movement in America. And the, the other sort of points of when I created Survivor Corps, that was the main one. And the others were at that point, I actually, um, Dr. Fauci did a Facebook Live with Mark Zuckerberg on, I believe it was March 23rd. I got the, in the last question of the session, which was, what are your expectations of durable immunity? And he said, he figured that it would be at least six months to a year, similar to other coronaviruses. And so based on that, I started Survivor Corps the next day with the mission of mobilizing an army of survivors to donate their plasma, but also to support science, to engage in every medical and scientific study for which they qualified. And third, to be able to, I named it after the Peace Corps, because I really, I thought that we would be able to go help out in hospitals and not be a drain on PPE. I thought we would be able to go to the grocery store for the elderly so that they could stay home and stay safe. You know, that part didn't pan out, but, you know, we became a patient advocacy group only a few weeks in, maybe, you know, by April of 2020, we did not start out as a patient advocacy group, which is quite unusual. We became one because we had to be um, when we found that so many of our members were not recovering. That was a very long-winded answer. No, that's incredible, Diana. And I, I got to say, I'm so grateful to, for you to share this story. My dad was actually a recipient of COVID plasma uh, treatment. Wow. So I definitely was very grateful that he had that treatment. I think that's a lot incredible. of Americans. Did, 
did it help? Well, it helped temporarily. It yeah. helped temporarily. Um, but I, I certainly think We've that- We've learned you know, since then that it's the earlier you use it, the more effective it is. And you know, it's like if you give someone, penicillin is a wonder drug, but if you give it to somebody on their deathbed, it's really not going to help them. And I think that that's what I want to talk to you about. So talk to me about a Survivor Corp now, right? And you founded it this way. What are the main areas of focus now? Wow. Um, there's hardly a pot that we do not have our hands in at this point. Um, you know, we run the, our community is on Facebook. It's an open group, open to everybody. And you do not need to have had COVID. You could, someone in your life might have it. It doesn't matter. Um, if you're, we have, you know, I always say the smartest clinicians are members of Survivor Corps because that is where people can go and ask their questions where if you have a symptom that you're not that you don't recognize is this related to COVID? is it not is it related to long COVID? is it not you put in a keyword search and because i started this on march 24th 2020 and we have almost 200,000 members we have literally millions of posts so if you only see it come up 10 times probably not related to COVID. if you see it up come up a thousand times you're on to something so the community is not only a community of people who've become incredibly close with one another who are working to help heal themselves and each other, but it's also a group that is generating real patient-generated real-world evidence that we are then able to use to feed to the scientific and medical community to guide the science that they are doing. So that is one piece. We are heavily involved in the science. We regularly publish papers with Columbia, with Yale. We are very involved in legislative work on both sides of the aisle, testified in front of Congress. We advise the White House, the CDC, NIH, HHS. So we are deeply involved on those levels. There's really not a part of this, uh, you know, talking about early, talking about early therapeutics, you know, the fact that plasma would have been better off from the beginning used much earlier. In fact, before you're ever hospitalized, when plasma fell away and we moved to monoclonal antibodies in winter of, you know, 2020 to 2021, we launched the first portal for monoclonal antibodies in the country called gotcovid.org. And we were able to work with Regeneron with Optum Health. And we got this up and running because we are a tiny operation. We're founded by a group of friends who were looking to try to help the world in a moment of crisis. And we were able to put this together over a long weekend. It ended up being the most effective portal to get monoclonal antibodies that existed, so much so that HHS actually tried to buy it from us in spring of 2021. So there is really not a piece of this that we're not involved in. One of the things that I enjoy the most is going into the media and being able to explain to people you know, breaking down the science and explaining, you know, what do we know? What do we not know? What are the rules of play? How do you gather with your family safely? How do you get early therapeutics? What happens if you test positive? What do you do? Practical advice. We've been very short on that. And there's, you know, we've been here to sort of fill in the gaps where we see the government not coming through where they need to. We are also an unusual patient advocacy group in that we're not standing on the corner banging pots and pans saying, pay attention to us, pay attention to us. People are paying attention. That's not the issue. We are there to bring ideas to the table and bring them to fruition hand in hand with the government. And that's exactly what we've been doing.
It's so incredible because I think that a lot of people hearing your story might have thought that you came from a medical background or you ran a nonprofit prior to this, but you didn't. This is something that really you decided to do because it affected you, affected so many people that you care about. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things you could be spending your time on, Diana. So thank you for what you do today. I want to talk about this though, because I've, I've seen you talk about this on social media. I know how important it is, and it's certainly becoming even bigger of a topic now. We kind of talked about it right in the beginning, the topic of long COVID. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because I think although it's affecting millions of Americans, millions of people worldwide, I think still there's a lot of people that don't see this as being as big of an issue as, as many might. Um, we're talking about the thorniest issue around COVID. Um, long COVID is, you know, first of all, let's just explain that this is not unique. And this is our own fault for you know, living in a historical vacuum, not recognizing the fact that, you know, look, I say this all the time, Oliver Sacks wrote a letter to the editor of the New York Times in 2005, warning about the neurological sequela of a possible avian flu pandemic, using examples of the, from the 1918 flu and perfectly predicting long COVID in 2020. He said that there's been no viral pandemic or epidemic that has not been followed by neurological sequelae since the time of Hippocrates. So this is not new, but it is severe. Counter to a lot of the media attention you hear, which is all about brain fog and fatigue. First of all, it's sleep disturbances, and it is not brain fog. It is cognitive dysfunction. Brain fog makes it seem like a hangover. This sort of terminology is really important in the same way that the CDC says, when we say mild, we don't mean mild the way you mean mild. You know what? Use the right words because it really matters. And you know, when you think about mild, we looked at was there one symptom that was going to be most predictive of long COVID? Long COVID being basically having symptoms longer than 12 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks. When we looked at, you know, was it a cough? Was it a headache? What was it? The most predictive symptom of long COVID was being asymptomatic. Let that sink in. That is shocking. I want to paint a picture of what long COVID looks like in the real world. We're talking about healthy mothers of young kids who look just like me, maybe 10 years younger, but just like me, who are now walking with walkers or in wheelchairs. People in their early 30s who are on feeding tubes, who have lost all of their teeth. People in their early 40s who are being diagnosed with early onset dementia. Neuropathic pain so severe that it mimics advanced diabetes severe dermatological problems, loss of hearing, loss of sight, tinnitus, uh, the ringing in the ears, which might sound annoying, but it can actually be so maddening that it has driven long COVID patients to take their own lives. In fact, we are seeing a suicide ideation rate of minimum 18% within Survivor Corps. Part of the problem is that there are very few answers. And so people are really suffering. And we're not, we haven't gotten into the postural orthopedic tachycardia syndrome, POTS, which is basically you're sitting down, you get up, get really dizzy and lightheaded. What happens? You sit back down and you end up not being able to move around because it's incapacitating because your blood pressure shoots from a normal level, you know, your heart rate skyrockets. These are really serious issues. We're seeing muscle wasting. People look like they've aged a decade over the course of months. 
This is really serious stuff. And so I cringe every time I hear it described in the media as brain fog and fatigue. This is a much more sinister disease. This is something that is taking away people's lives and their livelihoods. They cannot go back to work because just on the cognitive dysfunction alone, if you are experiencing that, it doesn't matter whether you drive a truck, whether you work the line at McDonald's or you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you're not going back to any of those jobs. And there is no job out there that you don't need cognitive function for. It does not matter what you do. And so if you are, you know, you could lose your job, most likely your spouse then becomes the caretaker because you can't, there's no cooking or cleaning. People can't even walk across their rooms. I can't emphasize this enough. The vaccines are absolutely amazing. They are miraculous. Early therapeutics are amazing. They are miraculous. None of it is going to prevent long COVID. And so while they will keep you from dying, and that needs to be your number one concern, and probably keep you out of the hospital, but less and less so, it will almost definitively save your life. But living with long COVID is no kind of life. And look, I had a very mild case of long COVID. I had a symptomatic relapse um, about two months after my initial infection. And it was pretty miserable, but mine was incredibly mild and it cleared up sort of on its own with time. I am the unicorn. That doesn't happen to many people. And so I'm probably the only prominent patient advocate out there who is not suffering from the disease for which I'm advocating. And look, this is your mother. This is your father. This is your sisters, your brothers, your kids. Kids can get long COVID. They get long COVID. Estimates have been 10%. Of adults, the ranges have been anywhere between 7% and 60%. And we'll be right back with Diana after these messages. Hey you, I'm Andrew Seaman. Do you want a new job? Or do you want to move forward in your career? Well, you should listen to my weekly show called Get Hired with Andrew Seaman. We talk about it all. And it's waiting for you, yes, you, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's so scary. I think, you know, sometimes people are saying, well, you know, I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. I hear a lot of people now. There's so many more people that we know that have COVID, are recovering from COVID, and they keep saying, it's okay, it's okay. I'm okay. It was like the flu. I was. It was like a cold, and I'm okay. But when do you know, I mean, I guess... Diana, is there a way to know whether or not you're like yourself, like sort of a unicorn, right? You got lucky. Because I think all of us sort of believe that if we get COVID, we're going to be unicorns. Yeah, that's it's not a great mindset to be in. Um, it's one of these things that you need to, you know, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. This is something to avoid at all costs. Not only that, with the reinfection rate that we are seeing, each infection can lead to long COVID. It's not just the first, and then you know that the next one's going to be milder. You don't know whether your acute phase is going to be better or worse than the last time, and you don't know whether or not each each one is a roll of the dice. And the the odds are not in your favor. One of the things to think about is why do people think that they're the unicorn? Because they're healthy. They're young. You know, they go to the gym. They eat a healthy diet. Doesn't matter. In fact, one of the theories of long COVID, and there are probably overlapping theories that will all pan out to be true, but one of them is that it's an overreaction, an unregulated overreaction of the immune system. 
who has the best immune system, who has the most robust immune system, young, healthy women. That's why women in their late 30s are the most likely to be diagnosed with autoimmune issues, so with multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, ME-CFS, other sort of chronic post-viral diseases that also lead to an unregulated over-response of the immune system. So, you know, the unhealthier, <laughs> as unhealthy as you are, that might land you in the hospital. The healthier you are, the more likely you are to get long COVID, which is why we are seeing so many college athletes, so many, you know, really fit people who are sidelined. They are never going to be able to play that sport probably again. From the looks of it, you cannot predict where you are going to fall on that spectrum nor can you predict from the severity. As I said, when we looked to see what was the most predictive, it was being asymptomatic. And a paper just came out yesterday saying that 75% of long COVID patients were not hospitalized. It's really, really important to remember and also to remember about your kids. So I take a lot of issue with this let it rip approach that we are have that we have right now in this country because we are really underestimating the physical toll the financial toll if we think that we are you know we want to let the economy you know, flourish so we are going to pretend that the pandemic is over that means you're, you don't understand the economy and you don't understand long covid because what this is going to do to the labor market is going to be staggering. Yeah, it's going to be staggering. Not only that is what we talked about earlier, Diana. I mean, how much is this going to then hurt the government too? Because people are going to need long-term care. They're going to, you know, people are going to be disabled. It's significant. Absolutely. You know, disability alone. You know, long COVID is now under the ADA is officially a disability. That said, I don't know a single person who is qualified for disability. So, you know, you have a lot of government officials saying, oh, it's terrific. Now you can get, it's not considered a disability. Check that mark. Well, it has to work in real life. We actually, you know, we are fighting for appropriations to get immediate financial relief because you have people who are becoming homeless. You have people who are having to sell their car to pay for medications. And the worst part of it is that people are spending all their money on you know, medical interventions and we have no medical answers. There are no cures for this right now. And there's unlikely ever to be any magic pill that's going to be discovered to treat long COVID. It is a maddening syndrome and it doesn't look like there's any end. We talk about surges. We talk about waves in COVID. There is no long COVID wave. It is a straight line, a straight trajectory up. And it is not, there is not going to be any dip. Well, Diana, you know, let me ask you this. You know, I, I've heard recently, you know, my kids and, and one of their, their classmates, I talked to a parent and they said, well, you know, I'm going to let my children go back to normal, right? They're going to join band again. They're going to do this again because long COVID mostly impacts women, like you mentioned, right? And so I have sons. I'm just going to let them go ahead and live their life, right? When you hear things like that, like what would you say if you could, I'm sure there's a lot of people that say that to you. You know, you're a fear monger and you're trying to get people riled up. But what do you say to that? Well, let me tell you a story. I told you about my son who ended up having had COVID before me. He had it in late January, early February of 2020. Mild case. He's 11 years old at the time. And nine months later, he was sitting watching TV and one of his adult front teeth 
fell out unprompted with no blood loss. That ended up being a result of COVID. It was written up in the New York Times. His story was written up. It was up until then, we had no idea that there were dental ramifications. I didn't realize how vascular an area the jaw was. As it turns out, there is not a single organ that is not at risk for being compromised because every single organ relies on blood flow, which is why we see everything from COVID toes clotting in you know, the extremities to erectile dysfunction. You know, Blood flow is blood flow. And where you lose blood flow in the jaw, teeth come out. So that happened nine months later out of the blue. What's to say what's going to happen two years down the line, five years down the line? We don't know. Remember, what we think of as polio is actually long polio. I, this is, you know, think about the fact that we go to such extreme lengths. You know, when I was pregnant, I, you know, maybe would have a sip of wine every few weeks, only in the last trimester. I was so careful. You know, I would only feed my kids when they were babies organic food. And I did everything. I breastfed both of the, all of this stuff. But you're going to just go give them a neurodegenerative disease, whether or not you end up with long COVID. It's been shown that the brain literally shrinks from having been infected with COVID, regardless of how bad it is. So we're putting all of these efforts into raising healthy children, you know, maybe spare them the neurodegenerative disease if you have the option. My kids are in school. They took away masks after spring break. Guess what? My daughter had COVID two weeks ago. Her entire lacrosse team had COVID. They had a prom, senior prom, a week later, half of the senior class had COVID. And it's now becoming not, have you had COVID? It's how many times have you had COVID? It scares me. I find it incredibly frightening. We know that kids can be very affected by long COVID and we don't know what's down the line, you know, which is why we should be tracking people because God forbid we have in, you know, a surge of early dementia cases of 18-year-olds. We want the first possible signal. We don't know what the end story of this. We're only reading the first chapter right now. So, Diana, I want to hear this. I think a lot of people are watching, a lot of parents are watching. What do you suggest? What are ways that we should be protecting our children as we look towards fall? Masking, masking, masking. Masking works. First, look, my deepest, deepest sympathies to all of you out there with five and unders. I can't imagine what stress you all must be under with having unvaccinated children and young children to boot. I mean, that is, I hope that this gets resolved as soon as possible. I got my kids vaccinated on the first day possible. I got them boosted on the first day possible. But guess what? You take away the masks, everyone gets COVID. My biggest rule is do not eat indoors with other people. Do not go to restaurants. Go to restaurants. Definitely go to restaurants. Get a table outside. That's all you need to do. It's May. You know, there are very few places in the country right now where it's not warm enough. To, even if you have to bring a jacket, sit outside. A lot of these places have heat lamps. Getting pizza, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're sitting in a restaurant indoors with other people, chances are pretty high you're going to walk out with COVID. And so beyond getting vaccinated, really wearing those masks, and not just any mask, but wear a good quality mask. There's a nonprofit organization called Project 95, and they are a terrific organization. You know that what you're getting is the real stuff. You're getting the real N95s, and they vet all of their products, and it's a nonprofit. It's amazing. Stock up, have masks on hand, and have a plan for if 
your family does get infected, do they qualify for early therapeutics? Make sure that you have a plan to know whether or not they qualify and how to get them. I love it. So indoor band, your opinion. Terrible, terrible. You're literally blowing spit all over the place. We we knocked off singing for a long time because that's terrible. The shouting is awful. I mean, can you imagine my son played the trumpet? I mean, he was awful. I, I was very, very happy when that ended. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, I just remember there's just spit coming out through that instrument in every direction. This is an aerosolized virus. I was on a plane the other day from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles. I get on, I'm wearing, you know, full on respirator and everything. And the guy two seats down from me starts wiping down the entire row with alcohol wipes, not wearing a mask. This is an aerosolized virus. It does not matter how many people are offering you hand sanitizer. Look, wash your hands, definitely. And there's nothing wrong with wiping down the seats on a plane if you have allergies or if you're immunocompromised or for whatever reason, if it makes you feel better, it doesn't matter. But if you're doing that and you're not wearing a mask, there is cognitive dissonance going on. All right, Diana, you have been just so generous with so much knowledge. And honestly, I, I wish this show was twice the length that it is because I actually I. want to <laughs> spend more time with you. And so we're definitely going to have to have you back. But, you know, I want to talk about this. I mean, you've done such incredible work. I've been following you on social media. One of the things that I heard uh, this a couple of weeks ago, I was following and saying that we need help. So I want to talk about that. What are some elements that are needed to escalate your work? We definitely want to support you. Um, how can people help? We need funding. We need funding. We are a tiny organization that runs on a shoestring, but without that shoestring, we will fall apart. And we offer a tremendous resource to the world. Our website, www.survivorcore.com, you know, as you said, it was inducted into the Library of Congress in September of 2020 and remains, it's the only dynamic map of all post-COVID care centers in the country. We are leading research. We are playing such a vital role, but because we've been around since the beginning, everyone sort of takes this for granted. If you go to our website, there's a link to donate. We um, have 501c3 status under a fiscal sponsor. So it's all tax deductible. You would be doing a tremendous service to humanity by keeping us alive. And we are at a crossroads. It would be a tremendous shame. If we shut down, it sounds crazy. If we shut down, people will die. It's it's that it's that stark. It's that simple. And we were very lucky to get some very generous grants at the beginning from the Gates Foundation and Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. But you know, these places are are fickle. What they want to fund one year might not be what they want to fund the following year. And so we are really hoping that private donations, that you know, maybe some company out there who wants to do some good will join up with us and support us. And we're out there supporting everyone else. People are very quick to call us when they need help. This is our time. We are asking you for your help. Thank you so much, Diana, for sharing that. I definitely will be happy and honored to help. And I hope that those of you listening and watching will consider doing the same. Let me ask you this, Diana. You know, what else have I not asked you that you'd like to share with us? So I know we've been talking a lot about early therapeutics, and I always want to make sure that when I speak to any audience, that people can walk away with some actual tangible knowledge that they can share and spread around. You know, give some, you know, you need something in your pocket to walk away with. And this is what my current advice is. If you get COVID, 
the best way to deal with it is to get an early therapeutic if you qualify. So right now, the, it started out with Regencov, you know, when, when President Trump got COVID and he got monoclonal antibodies, and then it morphed into various different monoclonal antibodies, which were all infusions. This and then Paxlovid, which is available now, some people call it Paxlovid. Paxlovid is available now. It is a Pfizer product. It is a blister pack of pills. There's no infusion anymore. It's not a monoclonal antibody. It's an antiviral. And it is the most effective way right now of tamping down your virus. Look, we know that monoclonal antibodies did not, it turns out, prevent long COVID. And the jury is out on Paxlovid. We don't know. But there is a chance that it will because another one of these theories behind long COVID is that there's viral persistence. So how do you get Paxlovid? You need to qualify. So if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Diana Barrent. And I'm regularly giving out advice here. These are the qualifications. And people are saying, oh, I'm not sick enough. I'm not, you know, this enough or that enough. Well, you know what? You look at the rules and almost everyone qualifies. My 15-year-old got COVID two weeks ago. I got her Paxlovid the same day she tested positive because that has to be your goal. It's not how sick you are. In fact, you want to take it while you were feeling good, so you stay feeling good. This whole conversation about Vice President Harrison, was she symptomatic enough to receive it? That was silly. That's not how this works. You want to get it the day you test positive, regardless whether you have symptoms or not. And to qualify, guess what? Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever smoked a cigarette? Ever, ever. ADHD? Do, do you live in an area that is disadvantaged? You come from a socioeconomic background that's disadvantaged, a, a racial or ethnic group? Bingo, you just qualified. Do you have a BMI over a certain number? Have you not been physically active recently? That qualifies you. I don't know many people who wouldn't fall into one of those categories. As long as you're 12 or older, you weigh at least 88 pounds. If you're 65 and older, you automatically qualify. And so how do you get it? First of all, you need to know your rights because doctors will tell you that you don't qualify. You need to know your rights and walk in and say, "Don't not do I qualify. I qualify because of X, Y, and Z. Please make sure that you are looking at my profile to make sure no medicine that I'm currently taking is contraindicated. You know, this is something you want medical advice on because there are medications that can't be mixed with Paxlovid. And so you want a doctor's advice on that, but that can be done through telehealth. That can be done at your local Walgreens or CVS and Google test to treat. And that is a U.S. government initiative to get Paxlovid in people. And contrary to popular belief, there is no shortage. We have plenty to go around. The problem is in distribution because doctors don't know when they should be prescribing it and patients don't know that they qualify for it and that they need it. And if you don't have a doctor, it's fine. You can show up at your local test to treat center, whether it's an urgent care or a local, a lot of them are, again, as I said, are Walgreens or CVS or other pharmacy chains. And you'll get tested on the spot, which you want, because if you had a home positive test, you want that piece of paper that says, yes, I was actually infected with COVID because you are going to need that proof later on. And so the only way to do that is by going in and getting an actual test. And at the same time, they will evaluate you on the spot to see whether or not you are eligible for a fax of it and fill the prescription, which is free. It is free. 
And again, the best time to get it is on day one. I had trouble getting it for my own daughter. And you can imagine I'm coming from just about the most privileged point that anyone could in the world. We start seeing doctors who aren't able to put it to, to get it when they get COVID because when you get COVID, it's stressful. First of all, you might be feeling really sick, like you're freaking out. So the point is have a plan, have a plan for yourself, have a plan for your parents, have a plan for your kids, know the rules and know your rights. That's incredible. Now, Diana, for those watching or listening who say, okay, Diana, I need you to tell me what are the things that would qualify for me to get this? Is this on the website? Is it in your Facebook group? Where do we go for this? I've been tweeting it out every day on Twitter. Um, and I give the link to the CDC list. If you look up on the CDC, what are the conditions that would consider somebody at high risk for worse outcome from COVID? And as I said, these loopholes are so big, you could drive a Mack truck through them. So know where, where you qualify. So I got it for my daughter because she has eczema. It counts. You do whatever you have to do. You do what you have to do. It counts. Eczema is an autoimmune disease. Asthma. Asthma is a good one. And remember, you don't need proof. It's self-attestation only. So Diana, let me ask you, I, I got to ask you this because I, I know it's been a question that's been shared about, and then we're going to go to speed round, but this I got to ask you, a lot of people are very concerned, right? You talked about how you were just on a plane not that long ago and kids are in school. One-sided masking, right? A lot of us are only masking ourselves, but the other person on sitting next to us on the other end of the room aren't masking is this still effective? Is this still, you know, like, what do we do then? Any mask is better than no mask. Um, obviously, if both people are masked, you're better off. But if you, you can't control what you can't control. So I can't control whether the person next to me on an airplane is wearing a mask. So that's in a pretty close proximity. And I'm flying back and forth across the country just about every week. So in those situations, I will wear a very high quality mask or ideally a respirator, which, you know, looks a little crazy, but it works. Am I going to wear a respirator when I go into the supermarket? No, uh, but I do wear an N95. Don't share air indoors with other people. That's sort of the basic idea. Do I wear a mask outside? No. And am I taking every precaution possible? No, I'm not doing that either. You know, the eyes are a vector point. I don't wear goggles. I don't wear, you know, I don't wear glasses. I, a lot of you should technically, if you're immunocompromised or you're at higher risk, but you know, everyone has to play, you know, you have to make your own rules that you're comfortable with. And that also rules that you're going to follow through on. So if you hold yourself to a standard that you're not going to meet, you're better off finding the 75% that you're going to meet 100% of the time. Well, thank you so much. This was so, so eye-opening and such great information. A lot of things. I'm learning so much today. We'd love to, if you could tell us, what's the best advice that you've ever been given and how has it impacted your life? Okay, I'm going to go... I don't know that this technically counts as advice, but it is a saying that was a famous rabbi, Rabbi Heschel, uh, marched with Martin Luther King in Selma in, in the 1960s. And he said, let us all pray with our feet moving. And that's something that I think about all the time. We are living in dark times and it's very easy to sort of rage against the world or sort of almost hide from it because it's all too much. You can pray for somebody or you can help them. Let's do both. Words can be empty. Follow them with action. 
Um, and that's the way that I try to lead my life. And I think about that phrase all the time, pray with your feet moving. We believe that everyone has their own yes factor. Some people call it superpower, but I'd love to know, Diana, what do you think that your, your yes factor is? That's funny. I, I always say that whatever your superpower is, is also probably your biggest curse. They can sometimes be the same thing. And mine, uh, many curses. One of them, which is also a superpower, is I rarely think about what could go wrong in a situation. I barrel in and I don't take no for an answer. And I don't stop and think, am I qualified for this? Do I have the background to do this? I have no science background. I have no healthcare background. I jumped into this having no idea what I was doing. I'll be speaking to MIT in a couple of weeks. I've done grand rounds for the NIH. I've uh, written medical papers with Yale University, with the Mayo Clinic. You know, never, never underestimate what you are capable of. And don't think too much about the things that can go wrong because it'll, it keeps you from actually doing anything. Um, just dive in and see what happens. Just dive in and see what happens. Such wise words. And not only that, I think like we all love you, Diana. Just like, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love her. And I'm so proud to be in the same space with her right now and just listening to her share this story. If she's not inspiring, I'm not sure who's inspiring to you. But with that, you know, I think Diana had mentioned earlier, but definitely give her a follow on Twitter. I follow her on Twitter. I really enjoy her posts. And she's just such a bright light. And, you know, she is just trying to do something for all of us, help the people that she loves, people that she cares about, people that she doesn't even know out there. And this is not what she did two and a half years ago. This was not Diana's life, but it is. I'd like, I'd like to be out of a job, by the way. I can't wait till this is over. <laughs> yeah, you and me Please, both. Of business to be super safe and put me out of business that's what i want that's what we all want right we want COVID to not be something we ever have to talk about again it's something that maybe we can talk to our grandkids about i remember back in the day but amazing diana let's, let's put in the history books right thank you thank you so much to diana thank you so much for your time you are such a gem i know you hear i know so many people in the world love you but we gotta say we love you thank you i love you guys <laughs> Just a few years ago, Diana was traveling the world taking photos as a professional photographer. And now she's given a louder voice for so many who have survived this pandemic. Just one person. And look at how many she continues to help. To learn more about Diana and her work and the long-term effects of COVID, visit survivorcorpswithans.com. If this episode resonated with you or if you have questions, please comment and subscribe. Send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Join me again next week as we share another new episode of Yes Factor with you. Thank you and be well.